The Jimi Hendrix experience is over. The acid rock musician died today in a London hospital, apparently from an overdose of drugs. During his short career, Hendrix flailed his <clears throat> electric guitar into some of the most unusual sounds of an unusual music. A report now from ABC's Gregory Jackson. If you're much over 30, the odds are you never heard of Jimi Hendrix, or only dimly, perhaps a loud voice on the car radio. But take it for fact, in just the past four years, Jimi Hendrix became one of the best-known, highest-paid artists in recording history. An astonishing performer whose on-stage gyrations could make Elvis Presley look like a P.E. teacher. And it may well be that the story of Jimi Hendrix is a small picture of the overall explosive power and wealth of rock. The son of a Seattle gardener, James Marshall Hendricks quit school at 16, but before he was 20, he was touring the country as a backup guitarist for other rock groups. In 1966, a manager discovered him in a Greenwich Village bar, took him to Europe, formed a group, and just nine months later, Jimi Hendrix returned world famous. At rock festivals, Hendrix was paid $50,000 for a single performance. His album sold in the millions. He should have been a millionaire. It's not known whether he saved his money, but it is known that today, Jimi Hendrix is dead, an overdose. He was 28. This is Gregory Jackson, ABC News, New York. We'll be back in a moment. If you had the chance to communicate one general idea to the American public, what would it be? Hmm, I guess it would be... Uh understanding and communication between the uh, different age brackets which is no such thing about age brackets anyway not in my mind because the person is not actually old in numbers of years but how many miles he's traveled you know how he keeps his mind active and creative and I guess that would be one general idea there's millions of them though can go okay fine most people won't even answer that one don't feel bad <laughs> <laughs> Uh, number two, when, you, uh, when you're before a large audience and start to play, how do you feel inside? When, what sensations do you feel, if any? Well, I really feel like, um, I don't know, I really feel like turning people on, you know, quite naturally. Um, some kind of, at least entertainment, without being false about it, you know, without being a superficial clown or whatever you want to call it, I don't know. And, uh, like, if they don't respond, well, then I'll just play for myself, you know, and for the ones that will listen. If they do respond, well, then this gives me more energy to work out, you know. It's another way of communication and trying to make harmony amongst the people enjoying what we're trying to get across, you know. Harmony is part of the first one, too, anyway. Okay. If you are not getting the desired response from an audience when you're on stage, what do you do? What would be your reaction to such a situation if this ever happened? Now, I've never seen it happen to you, so I don't know. There have been times when you felt you weren't getting the desired response. Yeah. Well, I have an imagination, you know, and I feel that maybe they're not, um, they might not be ready for that particular thing. They might be coming to the uh, concert as critics, you know, instead of as people, you know, wanting to get into some entertainment, and then from then on they could build it more. But like if there's no response at all, it doesn't bother me too much at all. It just makes me play a little more music, you know. See, you know, that's, that's just the way I think. I think in no negative terms at all, because it takes up 
a whole lot of space in your mind, you know. And some people only use one-tenth of the brain capacity anyway. And so, uh, you know, there's so much more room to think other good ways, you know, and try to turn them on regardless. It's like a hospital when a patient might be kicking, you know, he doesn't want an operation, and he knows good and well, you know, might be good for him on the long run. But he's scared, and he's kicking around in the bed, and the nurses are trying to strap him down. Well, I'm the nurses, you know, trying to get him together and trying to prove to him that this is right. What is your own personal philosophy of music? What effect do you want it to have on you, your audience? Well, let's see. Personal philosophy, well, my personal one is that's, that's um, part of my life, you know, it's just a part of me, music itself. And uh, the effect I'd like to have for it on audiences is maybe in a hypnotic state, if not an awakening state, you know. So therefore, that's why we don't preach necessarily violence unless it's a certain incidence in a song. It should have some kind of solution, you know, at the end of a song, every song that we give out to people, you know. Because it's all, it's almost all philosophy, our music is, most of it is, in a very hazy form because it's still, it's still um, progressing, you know, so it's like a little baby. And it hasn't even reached the um, stage that I call for it to walk by itself, you know. In your opinion, what is the best possible or desirable situation to bring this response about? These mm. are very leading questions, I must tell yeah. you. Just well, yeah. Well, sometimes when there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of riots and so forth, that's still going to happen in the States, you know, and anywhere else for that matter. So therefore, when, in the hottest parts of the country, they should allow these groups to play in an outdoor way. You know, I know that sounds... That sounds suicidal, but it's not at all. Matter of fact, it's the best way to do anything. It's a brain, well, only special groups, though, certain groups, because there's a lot of groups that are trying to, uh, like I said before, keep harmony amongst people. So they either give them good time music or loud music so they can release their frustrations and so forth, standing right next, you know, like black and white standing next to each other with hammers getting ready to hit each other. And this music has a way, it's a universal language anyway. And if it was respected properly, it would have a way to, uh, reach these people at the same time and like uh, it's, it's a thing like I think it should be brought outside almost like the evangelist you know a gathering like that the other music should stay in clubs and you know all the pretentious people in the, in the music you well they should just stay in their pretentious bag like for instance in clubs and cabarets and all that but see there's a lot of elderly people want to know about what's happening in the new music today too they want to know why people play so loud you know, and they want to know this and want to know that. What's well, the best thing for them to do is come and hear certain groups. There's only certain groups that are trying to get across a harmony message anyway. And we're one of them. Oh. Yeah, I'm sorry. Hello, hello. Who is it? Tell me, stop, stop it. You dial zero. What, you just take it off? Yeah, I'll take it off and then dial zero. Oh no, I'll just take it off. I guess they won't hurt it. Okay, now. What social implications do you feel that rock music has brought to your generation? Hmm. I think probably in the, it was good time music at first, like I said before, like with Little Richard, Chuck Berry, and uh, Jerry Lee Lewis, and you know, you can go on down the line, Elvis Presley and so forth. But then like, uh, 
there's a lot of drugs that's dipped into it from some effect that rock musicians think different than other people, they live different than other people, so therefore they have different releases than other people. It's up to them themselves not to make it to escape, and some of this has seeped in through there. And I think some of the people that were on drugs, some of the regular people, you know, or like, uh, like I said, some of the music seeped in, some of the, uh, you know, the drug scenes seeped in through the music. And so therefore they, th they felt it was a little better to uh, do these uh, things, you know, like going into LSD or what have you, you know. <laughs> and so, but like it's settling down properly. And the whole idea in the first place for all these drugs and all the music and all the hang-ups is because of, like everybody wants to be um, their own identification in some way form, you know. And some people couldn't find this in trying to um, talk to the parents or the so-called other generation, you know, because they have a way of uh, overprotecting the people so much as where they put them in boxes, you know, and they put themselves in boxes, and that's not a right way of living. Because younger people, their minds are a little more keener, and they can figure this out. So therefore, since they can't get release and respect from the older people, then they go into these other things, and then music gets louder and it gets rebellious because it's starting to form a religion, you know. And because uh, you're not going to find it in church, a lot of kids, you know don't find nothing in church. I remember when I was, I got thrown out of church because I had the improper clothes on. I had tennis shoes and a suit. And they said, well, that's not proper. So we don't have no money to get anything else. So I just got thrown out of church anyway. And it's nothing but an institution. So they're not going to find nothing there. And uh, so then it moves on to trying to find yourself, you know. So therefore, you see somebody look maybe kind of freaky or playing very radical, regardless if it's good or bad, you know. And then quite naturally, they they take up to this person or these people. It's up to the people to preach the proper thing to them through the music. What do you feel has been your contribution to social change and the attitudes of young people that have been attributed to your music? Now, this is you personally. I think, I think, well, like I say, I, I never consider myself even started yet. You know, that's for everybody else to say that you made it and all this. I don't consider I made it. But I, I do see, you know, um, influences and all that. And it seems to me that it's just what I said before. It's just they're trying to find their own identification through us sometimes, you know, which is not bad because we don't preach violence or aggression. This is a very good thing to have around. It's better than politics, you know. They look up to us sometimes quicker than they would look up to what the president says, you know. And, uh, you know, like clothes and so forth. Some people just want to wear these clothes, but that's not harmful at all. That's just a person, you know, He's doing his own thing with his clothes and so forth. There's so many things that people just get misunderstood. We're trying to get across communication with the old and young, and I think some of them are, are finally understanding that part of it. And plus, we try to get across laziness on anybody's part, regardless if they're old and young. And that, that takes a few more, say, a few more songs and a few more gigs to get that across really strong enough. Because, like, um, I used to see a lot of people just sit around get stoned and not really, all they do is protest and not really, really try to do anything about it, you know. I said, well, listen, you could be a dishwasher until you finally get yourself together. They said, yeah, but, you know, oh, and all this. They don't want to know about that, you know, so I know where the trouble is. A lot of it's laziness. So then I work towards, you know, so then I experience different things. I go through the hang it myself, and then what I find out, I write to other people because it has nothing to do with aggression or nothing like that anyway. Because that's just nothing but taking two steps back, you know. And the, the other people have to realize this too, or else they're going to be fighting for the rest of their lives. You know. 
I used to teach high school dropouts. <laughs> yeah, I used to teach um, people with foreigners getting their citizenship papers too. Yeah. Well, I was a high English school to foreign-speaking students, so they could go to school. I was glad I was a high school dropout for the simple fact that I think kids starting from kindergarten should every two years should have a big annual, you know, a big test. Saying, you know, you're, you're, from, you're from Seattle, I thought. Yeah, what does that have to do with school? <laughs> I'm talking about school. <laughs> no, well, I'm talking, well, regionals is what I was thinking, thinking of New York, you know, where you, to get out of the eighth grade, you they have a state board examination, and if you don't pass it, you know, you're supposed to no, learn so well, much. See, that's silly. That's rules and all Isn't that. Isn't that a drag? Well, I know. <laughs> it should be, it should be like every two years they should have a test, same, you know, about 20 pieces of paper doing exactly what they want to do in that paper and saying what they want to say. And they should have people, you know, this, the teachers that don't want to teach for the rest of their lives, where they start, they progress too into other things. So they'll be the instructors to this certain thing that happens every two years. And then a kid could go to school when he's 11 years old. I mean, he can go to college or a special school by the they time he's 11. They do have them. They do you have know, them. They should have them all over the place. They always, that's one thing about the old generation, they always go in between. That's a hang up, that's a drag. That's Have you ever heard of a school, some type of school, it's called Summerhill? Yeah, I heard of Summerhill, but that's they not all over the them. states. They though. have about six of them in Southern California. Well, of course, it isn't enough. Yeah, for the benefit of even the teachers that get tired of just teaching the second grade for the rest of their lives, for oh, instance. Yeah. They, could they could progress just like uh, kids do. I know, I can go back to any of the schools that I go to and find people that I that taught me when I was a little kid, yeah. and they're still doing it sad. Right. I mean, it's well, that's depressing. Being, that's being in a compartment. That's not really an offering. Well, okay. In, but, in your opinion, is the future pop music? Well, I don't like the word pop in the first well, place. Well, okay. But all it Rock. means to me is pilgrimage of peace. Okay. Well, we'll get down. Okay, what do you think the sound of the future will be, then? Well, I don't know. I'm not a critic. You know, I can just only go by what I want on my own side. I, I like to get into more symphonic things so then kids can respect the old music, traditional, you know, like classics. I like to mix that in with, um, you know, with so-called rock today. But it's always changing according to the attitude of the people, you know. When the air is static, loud, and aggressive, that's how the music gets. When the air starts getting peaceful and then and harmonic and so forth. That's how the music will get. So it's up to the people how it's going to be. But it, uh, music is going to be here regardless if it's rock or whatever, it, you know. And it's going inf to influence a whole lot of people's minds now because, like I said before, that's part of their church now. You know? Well, music is considered extremely emotional and it's supposed to rid the individual of frustration. That's what they yeah, say. Yeah, if people let, let it. I of, does. It's marvelous. Yeah, instead of trying to... I can to tell you that from my own experience. Like, mm -hmm. if I'm really uptight, I'm tense and everything, yeah. I go to somewhere like the whiskey and really enjoy yeah. myself. Or they listen to uh, uh, Andy Williams or something. You know, he's very relaxing, for instance, you know. I like very heavy music. You do? Particularly like yours. Oh, that's great. <laughs> Come with now me I and we'll go places. I've followed for a long time. <laughs> okay. Since many authorities feel that the Sunset Strip, the Sunset Strip to be, or has been, one of the prime innovators of the present reaction of youth against the establishment, what is your attitude toward the Strip and its people? What do you think Sunset Strip stands for in relation to the rock movement? I think it stands for like a escape valve or a place to run away. They, some people don't like to live up in the hills, you know. 
that's just like being hermits, and that's running away from something. So they still hold a piece of the city, and they consider Census Strip of of the sort. What do you call it? It's a place to let loose, or something like that. And the people might as well own up to this, or you know, they might as well face up to this. It's not actually a thing against the establishment. It's not that at all, you know, because a lot of those kids down there, I found out, are part of the establishment, you know. It's nothing but, it's a, you know, a lot of them are lazy down there. A lot of them are groovy, you know, but the groovy ones don't preach as hard as the lazy ones do. And so, therefore, it's a big mess. But cleaning it up, running kids away from that is not going to help anything, you know. You might as well just let it stay there and depend on the music to straighten it out. And then give the music some kind of uh, respect as to where it can do these things, you know. Because police, the more you send police anywhere, the more trouble you're going to have. Because some people haven't reached the point of thinking, as a word, retaliation is not the right, you know, move, especially in aggression. So therefore, you have to keep the pigs out. And then you find out that it turns out to be a very groovy place. Some people try to make something in people's part. The same thing is going to happen to the Sunset Strip with the right people there and with the right music produced upon it, you know. People don't realize that music has so much to do with what's happening today, you know. And you're not going to stop the music. <laughs> when I say you, though, I mean, you know, whoever's listening through the microphone there, I can say you. I know. <laughs> I mean, you put a microphone between you and somebody, there is an automatic different world, you know, than if I well, were just sitting here on the couch talking to you. Yeah. I realize this. <laughs> well, like, probably, you know, if they want to know the, the truth about it, the best thing to do is listen to the music and listen to ours. You don't have to buy it. You can listen to it. <laughs> Listen, I've seen you thousands of times, you know. <laughs> I've been on this trip since it started. The birds, yeah. you know. Oh, I remember the birds. Yeah, I also been Cyril's. I saw the birds at Cyril's. I used yeah, to go every here. week. I was with the Little Richard. Did I you see Little Richard I've then? I've seen Little Richard for years, back in 1955. Yeah. I graduated from Torrance High School. Great. Did you see Little Richard at Cyril's? <laughs> I saw him there. Yeah, I, I was playing. I used to see him all the time. Yeah. Right. Listen, all the people, when I went to high school, the only music you listened to Mm. was the music that was presented by Hunter Hancock oh, and Huggy Boy and it was all <laughs> black music yeah, and I just love it and That's all the great. old people that I used to really th think were just groovy and out of sight are all coming yeah. back. Well it's so funny because even some color people look at my music and say is that white or black? I said what do you want to, you know what are you trying to dissect that for? Try to go by the feeling of it. It's because it's loud. Let me tell you yeah. it's great. All those are things that we have to wipe away from the face of the earth before it can live in harmony. Before I met, before I heard of you, though, I did. I met Randy California, who told me about. Oh you. yeah, that's my friend. Him and yeah, I, I used to know. I saw him up and I tried to get him a job. <laughs> yeah. He was with us before the spirit started, mm -hmm. and uh, he was telling me about you. Mm -hmm. Okay, I guess He's that's good. enough for that. Now here comes one you may not like. I don't know what your reasons were. I'm curious. Although you were born and raised in America, what prompted you to establish yourself in England as opposed to America? After all, it's no secret the prime source of income for you as well as other English musicians is America, not England. Yeah, well, there was managers. You know, I was down in the village. It was right before I quit this R&B group, you know, because I said, well, come on down the village so we can uh, um, get something together, you know, on our own standards not playing behind another person that was playing behind. And they were lazy, they were scared, and plus they, they didn't think they was going to get paid. I said, well, quite naturally you won't get paid on the audition, you know, because, like, it's us, you know, going down there, um, being aggressive, you know, it's, it's us going up, filtering down to them, you know, 
So there's a few things you have to give up in the beginning. They didn't want to do that, so I just went down there and played, got Randy California together, and formed this group called the um, Blue Flame. And uh, uh, have you heard of the animals? Well, the managers of the animals. You know, the animals were in town one time doing the last gig at Central Park, doing the last group, uh, gig as a group. And the bass player of the animals, Chess Chandler and Mike Jeffries, asked would I like to come to England. And I'd never been to England before. That's the only reason, because I'd never been. So I went over there, because that's where I just lived my life. I'd never been to Indianapolis. So I starved my way over there, starved there. And I'd never been to, you know, Memphis, so I starved my way down there. It just happened to happen over there, so. And plus, I could play loud over there. I could really get myself together over there. There wasn't so many hang-ups as it was in America, you know, mental hang-ups and, you know, things like that. That's good. Okay. What are your plans for the future and the new experience? Well, we're going to make a music into a religion, which it already is anyway, only solidify it, you know, to that. And really, I like for us to play outside more, you know. Now, I understand you're going to lose uh, Noel, as far as I know. Yeah, well, that's not losing Noel. That's not, that's not a... I know, he's got his own yeah. thing. Well, so because we all have our own thing, too. Plus, I want to get into a more of an earthier type of music. You know. I saw you play with Billy, your uh, new bass player. Your new bass player. Are you going to keep Mitch? Well, if he wants to come along, yeah. I'll keep anybody that wants to come along, as long as they're going to be contributing to the cause. I'll keep anything necessary, and it's all going to be strictly necessary for the cause. Okay. Is there any other thing, anything else you'd like to say yeah. that I didn't didn't think I covered? Yeah. Well, it's good. I'm so glad that people look at our music a little more than just uh, the every, you know, a little more than just a fad. And I'm, I feel really respected to do something like this. Because hey, listen, I got news for you. The educators know it isn't a fad. They thought it was. In fact, they thought people with long hair and the strip and everything was going to be something that blew over. And yeah. it grew. And they no longer even accept it as a subculture. They yeah. accept it as something that is going to definitely have a change upon the whole society. Uh, this is why educators yeah. really, I mean, people who yeah. are, uh, you know, thinking up here. Mm. <laughs> not yeah, I know we got the other kind, too, you know, yeah, I know <laughs> I 50 years ago, you know. Yeah. <laughs> not, don't, don't confuse me <laughs> yeah. with the facts. My I'm mind's already made up types. Well, yeah. <laughs> why didn't say that? You, you know, I'm not confusing. Well, that's, that's, a step, that's a step for the good, you know, that's a step for good in its own right. Because, like, at least they are accepting the fact that these people are running around, you know, and not running around, but I mean, there's that many people there to make that much effect. It's just best for them to uh, let those people's follow, you know, those people's leaders, you know, those people like the strips, let their leaders straighten them out. That's the best way to do it. And then harmony would come for, you know, for everything, for everybody. And then progress can, could be made properly again, you know. Do you realize they have a laser beam that you can put in satellites that'll circle the world and it'll stop from any rockets in the whole world being. Uh, let off in anywhere in the world. But no, they don't want to hear about these new ideas. They want to hear about the old ones, like spend up all this money and get a big missile system, you know. That's just one of the things that uh, I'm going to try and put through this on. Yeah, too. they also say that of all the money, the money, if they took the money that they spent on defense for two years mm -hmm. and put it in medicine, medical research, mm -hmm. that they could cure every possible known disease to man. Well, how can they don't do those things? 
They don't do it. Okay, well, there you go. <laughs> well, I have friends who are doctors, you know, who bitch. Yeah. <laughs> they say there's no money. This is the only reason why disease is not cured. Well, that's what they do. They choke their own cells. They get so greedy with money that they don't want to give it up, you know. Yeah. That's silly. That's just nothing but a drug looks like anything else. Matter of fact, it's one of the worst drugs. That's why I'm glad I just smoked. Well, this is cancer or anything. They said if just enough money were put into it, they would be able to afford because they've got the brain power. They've oh, got definitely. People. They starve, they well, starve people to death that are educators and researchers that could do the work for them, you know? Silly. They don't give them enough money to do it. Well, all this is probably... It's not because teach. I'm screaming because no, teachers no. No, don't get any money. Hmm. That's not true. It's medical research and stuff like this, stuff like what that. you're talking about. I can dig that. It's really a shame. Of course, they're afraid to cure disease completely. You know, you've got to, you, the yeah. earth would become well, the, overpopulated, I guess. No, no, they, they got, got have, ways they of They feel this way. Out. I'm a historian. Mm. They have these theories. Well, they aren't theories. But they, uh, they should legalize feel abortion. that this is a natural thing. And uh, that just like uh, they worry about the birth rate and they worry about... They feel that war is a good thing, but is it because it does uh, um, kill off no, a number of people, other which ways. is a drag. I don't believe that. There's other ways you can settle things. There's other ways how you can live. They're so block-minded. That's all part of the evolution. See, evolution is of the man is changing the brain. So quite naturally, you're going to have hang-ups here and there of thought, you know. But still, the, the whole past is going towards a higher way of thinking, you know, towards a clearer way of thinking. But there are still some hard heads, it's like you're talking about. I think this way because they don't give the cells a chance to develop in the brain or let the souls develop or the emotions, you know. That's what we're trying to stop from other people, regardless of how old you are, regardless of what age thing. You always have to have, you always have, to have that release period, that other side of you, you know, the creative side, regardless of what your gig might be. And pretty soon your job is going to start to be um, not play, but it's going to start to be more enjoyable too. And therefore, and plus, you know, all this overpopulation. Well, this this is a modern age, and they do have pills for this and pills for that. So just make sure those pills are proper, because some of those pills make people sick. You know, you know, you get an after something, after effect, and some of these girls get very sick trying not to have babies. And who, you know, who says that it's written that that people are supposed to, uh, you know, that it's a sin to what they call kill off a child or something like that. A child isn't a child until it comes out into the air. I don't think so. The rest of, you know, they have to have, think in a, in a higher range of thinking. A lot of young people are, and they're going to they're gonna get it together. Because all these, a lot of these old people, all they're trying to do, they want to make themselves old, so they tie up their brains like this, you know. And then they, in the process, they try to build their own heavens. They want to be written down in war history. They want to be written down in money history, you know, all these things. And those things are nothing but jokes. In the next few years, they're going to all be jokes. And those people are going to be jokes. They're the ones, some of them should be put in cages now to be looked at because they're getting very rare, you know. Otis Redding. For Otis Redding, the Monterey International Pop Festival was a triumphant moment. The heat of his feelings set fire to the crowd on that June night in 1967. This is the love crowd, right? I've been loving you too long. Also at Monterey was the Jimi Hendrix Experience, who electrified the Sunday night audience with its United States debut performance. You move me. Look out. 
Now hear in-person history captured in the Monterey International Pop Festival album, featuring Jimi Hendrix and Otis Redding on reprise records.